Okay, thank you everyone for, for coming along to this. Um, it's just about a year ago, just now, that, that um, Glasgow and Scotland and the world lost Adrian Holtz, who was a wonderful um, creative and really, I think, fair to say, unique um, performer and theatre maker with a very, very um, special interest in mental health, mental vulnerability, and the kind of theatre that might address that. And I think it's fair to say, although I don't want to jump forward and anticipate you know, other analyses of what he was doing, but he was particularly um, concerned about the lack of intimacy in, in our world, you know, rather kind of machine-driven, fast-moving world. Um, and he was fascinated by um, the possibility of intimacy and performance as a place where you could explore that. When I first saw his work, um, which I suppose was at the Arches about maybe 12 years ago, he was doing work which involved groups of people. Um, so you would go in, you would all gather, and something daft would happen, which Adrian, or Adrienne, who was his female alter ego, um, would organise. The very first show of his I saw was the one about the laundry, yeah, called yeah, Adrienne's yeah. Dirty Laundry, where you had to bring um, your own dirty laundry. And I took this seriously, and I brought my black underwear. I thought, well, white underwear would be a bit messy, but black underwear, you can't see the damages. So, um, uh, and everybody else, of course, in Venice being Scotland, everybody else had just brought a blooming T-shirt or something. So I felt a complete... So Adrian thought I was a hoop right from the start, you know, with my, my, my lacy undercrackers, as he put it. And, um, and, but that, is, you, see, you see, I mean, that is a kind of, um, just right there, an example of how the kind of work that Adrian did would cut through sort of normal, you know, people's normal perceptions of themselves, never mind other people's normal perceptions of them. And then later, a few years after that, um, um, after a show called An Audience with Adrian, Adrian moved more and more, he, he began to appear as himself rather than as Adrian, and he moved more and more into exploring the possibilities of one-to-one -one work. One very famous show was his Foot Washing for the Soul, um, where he actually washed people's feet in a very ancient gesture that has echoes in almost all of the great world religions, you know, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, um, and beyond. And that was performed in many countries across the world and had great resonance for people um, right across a whole lot of cultural barriers and was an amazing experience, you know, when you actually... I mean, Adrian was a lovely person and having him wash your feet and talk to you about what that could mean to you was just... An incredible experience. So this was the kind of work in which um, Adrian was engaged um, and um, he, he was himself very much involved in issues to do with mental health. He had struggled with um, um, mental um, health problems himself um, and he, I think he just felt at some deep level that things in our society needed healing, that people needed more intimacy, needed to give each other more time and he would create these little pools of time in which you could just be with him and he could be with you. And it was a very, very um, profound experience. I mean, of all the theatre experiences I've had, I can't think of one which has kind of more directly challenged you to think about the way you present yourself to the world and how much real attention you give to the quality of the human interactions that you have. Um, so that was Adrian, and we've got a wonderful um, panel um, here to talk about um, his life and work and about the wider implications of that kind of work. You know, can theatre 
um, can theatre be useful in terms of, of therapy and mental health? Is it anything like therapy or mental health? Is it wrong to think of it that way? Um, and what is the relationship between um, you know, the kind of dramatic processes that take place um, in therapeutic situations and what might happen um, in a theatre event? Uh, what does that mean for the artists? Um, what does it do for them? What does it mean for the audience? How does it address them? Um, what about audience members who are very vulnerable, what happens to them, and all the rest of it. So there's a whole um, um, area of interest there about theatre um, and um, therapy and intimacy, as the title of the, the session says. And we've got a great panel to discuss it. Dee Hedden um, along there was one of, one of Adrian's um, closest colleagues and friends from Glasgow University, the Professor of Contemporary Performance there. Um, she was Adrian's mentor in some senses and a close friend and colleague um, in other senses and probably has as comprehensive an overview of his work and of the direction of his work um, as, as anyone um, who... Um, who encountered him um, during his, his life and his career. On my left is Nick Green, wonderful theatre maker, um, came out of the arches um, um, after fashion, uh, yes, spawned <laughs> from those deep tunnels there. But um, Nick also makes um, very exciting pieces of contemporary theatre that are often based on verbatim material or on real life experience. Um, she was a, a great colleague of, of Adrian's. She knew his work extremely well and he knew hers extremely well. And there was a bit of kind of mutual mentoring probably went on there. Nick says she was never formally mentored by Adrian, but informally, um, yes. Um, he, was, he, he was a very uh, motherly and, and fatherly figure to, in, in, in the sort of Scottish um, theatre community. And then finally, um, Farida Mutawali on my right, who's a counsellor. Um, and um, she is um, very, very interested in the relationship between um, art and counselling, art and therapy, art and people's mental well-being, and she's got a particular interest in theatre, and she also knew Adrian well and experienced um, a lot of his work. So would you like to welcome our panel? And um, we're going to start with Dee. Thanks. Thanks. thanks very much, Joyce, and thanks for the invitation to be here uh, this afternoon, this Saturday afternoon. Um, I thought perhaps I'd start just by placing my relationship with Adrian in context and Adrian's relationship with the city of Glasgow in context, although Joyce has offered a good biography there, I'll just uh, expand that a little bit. And then I'll say a little bit about Adrian's work. Um, although, as Joyce has indicated, <coughs> the focus is not simply about Adrian's work today, but about that relationship between theatre and therapy and what that might mean. Um, but Adrian provides a good pivot, I think, to explore some of the questions and challenges and uh, provocations that, that, that happen in that intersection between taking theatre and aesthetic form and therapy, which is some other form. But maybe it's aesthetic. I don't know whether Frida would be able to speak to that. Mm -hmm. um, so Adrian, actually, his own background was very much in a sort of actor training. He uh, uh, went to Bretton Hall and did an undergraduate degree in drama at Bretton Hall. And then he moved to Glasgow, actually, in the 90s to begin working as an assistant director at the Citizens Theatre under Giles Havergal. So he actually made work in what we might call more traditional proscenium arch theatre, if one can ever call the citizens of that era traditional. Um, and so um, it wasn't to the one-to-one -one intimate form that he naturally came. He began to become a bit frustrated with that fourth wall, as he saw it, between the, uh, the theatre practice and the audience. And in the way that life happens often serendipitously without a plan, he was invited at one point to um, perform in a very experimental uh, performance space in London that uh, was seeking to look at radical drag practice. 
And during that experience, he went to a show in which a performer had an audience of simply 14 people. And he was struck by the intimate potential and implications of that type of theatre arrangement. So the performer that he saw wasn't on a stage. They were in the same space as the spectator. And that really prompted his thinking. And in discussion at that event, he sort of gave birth to this uh, alter ego that Joyce has talked about, a sort of persona called Adrienne, who in some senses was a drag persona, but in other senses was simply Adrian. So he, he was already playing with those boundaries or binaries between sort of conventional notions of drag and gender and performance. And it was at that moment then that he began to really think about the potential of intimacy in a theatre practice that was intimate um, and close, I mean literally close, as well perhaps as emotionally close. Um, and then in about, as Joyce said, he began to make this show called An Audience with Adrienne, which had an audience usually of about 14 to 16 people in it, so it was intimate in those terms. Um, and he talked in those spaces about his own autobiographical experience, about what it was to be a gay man growing up in a small town in Kent, a very conservative upbringing, um, using theatre in a way to, to, to discuss his own experiences, but in turn... Uh, thinking that that was a prompt for the audience or participants, as he thought of them, to talk about their experiences too. So it became what he would term a sort of theatre of dialogue, I suppose, and it was very verbal at that point, really, um, an exchange of stories and narratives. Mm -hmm. And then in 2006, fortuitously for me, he decided that he wanted to do more research on this notion of intimate practice and he applied uh, to a funding scheme uh, that was a university uh, type funding scheme to do a creative fellowship for three years, a funded creative fellowship for three years that explored the use of risk and intimacy in performance and what that allowed him was actual proper salary to do research on what risk and intimacy might mean in the field of theatre. And he did that research through his own practice. And what was fortuitous for me was I was appointed as his mentor for those three years. And so my role as his mentor was to engage in critical discussion and inquiry around his practice and other people's practice and really to begin looking at this, what is intimacy? What do we mean by those terms? Can one stage intimacy? It already seems a paradox. How authentic can theatre be in its engagement with notions of intimacy and dialogue and exchange if someone's a performer and someone in some sense is still an audience? So what is it to have an intimate exchange in theatre? And those are tricky, uh, tricky questions, but Adrian stuck with those for three years, and out of that process came his one-to-one -one intimate performance practice. So it was coming out of and embedded in research, and I think that's important, because for me it suggests a criticality. He explored this as a critical theatre maker, that he wasn't playing around with this, he was deeply serious about what theatre could do in the world, for the world, and with people. Um, and he was a creative fellow for 2009, and then after 2009 he became an honorary research fellow at the University of Glasgow. And at that point I became his informal mentor and we continued those critical discussions around his work and he continued to make work in this intimate one-to-one -one form and continued to push at the boundaries of what risk might mean, but also what safety might mean. Mm -hmm. One of the things that was useful in being in a, in a university context was if you engage in any research you've got to ask um, is, are there any ethical implications to this research? And if your research <coughs> involves humans, as in this setup, the ethics committee at the university would say you have to have a strategy for thinking through what an ethical practice would be in that context. So even if it was simply having an audience discussion, Adrian would have to fill out an ethics approval form. So you can imagine when he said, well, what I want to do is bathe someone naked in a bath. <laughs> um, you can imagine the hoops he had to jump through. But it, it did prompt him to think about what would safety and protectiveness mean, or care for 
himself and the performer in that context. So I think there were other things unexpectedly come out of a relationship with uh, an institution that perhaps we hadn't foreseen. Mm. Um, and Adrian then continued to make uh, work right up until his death um, uh, and continued to, to, to plough that formula of thinking about intimacy. So I wanted to just say a few words. Um, my role as Adrian's mentor, I've said this before, was to frame him and introduce him and I'm doing it again. I, keep, I will continue to do this, even though he may not physically be here. He's certainly uh, present mm. around us today, certainly in my thoughts, uh, in a profound way. And so I'm introducing Adrian again, but I'm going to nudge him out of the way temporarily and allow myself to talk in my voice. So in my words, it's 2006. Adrian and I are sitting in front of a mirror in a hairdresser's on Gibson Street. Adrian says, I'd like you to take a long, hard look in the mirror, Dee, and tell me what you see there. I tell him I see a woman who's not much younger than her mum was when she died of cancer. I tell him I feel okay then about getting older, looking older. I also see Adrian standing behind me, protectively encouraging me. He gently takes my head in his hands and begins to massage my scalp. We've talked a lot over the past hour, sharing reflections. Now we share a companionable silence. I let the weight of my head filled with thoughts rest in his capable hands. In my words, it's 2007. I'm sitting at a table in a stranger's flat. Adrian is opposite me. He offers me tea and cake and then takes both of my hands and holds them in his. He asks me about hand-holding. I tell him I've always held the hands of my lovers, though when I first became a lesbian, it signalled a proud public announcement of sexuality as much as an act of intimacy between two people. I tell him I'm a bit self-conscious of my hands. They're always very hot and usually pretty sweaty. <laughs> he keeps on holding. In my words, in 2000, it's 2009. My bare feet are being washed gently by Adrian, each one in turn, in warm, clean water. They're then towel-dried, gently, each one in turn. Each foot is massaged with frankincense and almond oil. During this tender tending, Adrian asks me seven questions, including, what is your relationship with your feet? And, would you be prepared to wash a total stranger's feet? And, do you think your feet are capable of picking things up and leaving things behind? At the end, Adrian kisses each of my feet in turn. In my words, it's 2011. I close my eyes. I gingerly pluck strawberries from Adrian's fingers. <coughs> I savour the flavour, the juice dribbling down my chin. I lick my lips. I smile. I am still. I am here. In the words of Adrian Howells, my work prioritises interpersonal connectedness and what I refer to as an authentic experience between two people. <coughs> My presumptions about confessional exchange have been predicated on an entrenched, perhaps cultural, belief in the therapeutic benefits of confession, it being akin to a talking cure. Indeed, my own oft-repeated mantra is, a burden shared is a burden halved. Through my performance experience, I intuited that I needed to confess in order to give permission to and put at ease the audience participant, encouraging her to do the same. In the words of Adrian Howells, it felt useful, not just an aesthetic experience, but as an interaction that might be emotionally and psychologically beneficial 
for both me and for an audience participant. In the words of Adrian Howells, I believe we live in increasingly brutal and brutalising times and we need to find ways of physically connecting more. In the words of Adrian Howells, I feel with the work that I do, I'm trying to create safe environments where we feel protected because that's the most likely climate for the work to thrive and be appropriately impactful. But that doesn't mean that there can't be some difficult and challenging negotiations too. In the words of Adrian Howells, what is it to listen to the body of another? In the words of an audience member, blessed, soothed, approved, loved, without a word. Thank you. That's a wonderful Dee, thank you. And it just really evokes the experience of Adrian. And as, as, as you say, it's also valuable to remember that he wasn't just doing this practice, but he was reflecting on it and really thinking about it in a very, very... Um, analytical way and has left behind a body of work that, that does that which is also really valuable Nick talk to us about um, Adrian and what that kind of work means to you Okay. Um, first can I ask would anyone mind if I turn off the fan <laughs> sorry <laughs> thanks like when I'm listening like I can that. just do this and <laughs> um, thank you if we get too terribly hot yeah, we, can we can put it back on as we get yeah. hot um, yeah so Thanks, Dee, for that. Beautiful. Um, I haven't prepared anything as beautiful as Dee. <laughs> so, you just are beautiful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm just going to maybe see what I say. Um, I suppose, as Joyce said, I've considered Adrian uh, a mentor to me, um, mostly unofficially, uh, and an important peer in. Um, my artistic community, somebody who has both inspired the work that I make but also has provided a kind of solidarity in some of the belief and ethos surrounding and embedded in the practices. Um, like Joyce, I first saw his work when I arrived at um, his strange laundrette <laughs> in the basement of the arches where I was invited to wash my laundry in all sense of the words, sort of semi-publicly in this intimate group of people. And uh, I think immediately from then, I was still a student at the time, uh, it became very clear that he had a very natural um, capability of drawing out things from people, which I suppose maybe people who do that for a living in other contexts will know what maybe more about what exactly that is. Um, I think a really... I suppose there's a few things that I want to say that I feel like he has... Um, offered the community, I suppose, mm. in terms of um, what artwork can be and how it can be in the world and what effect that might have. Um, and listening to Joyce and Dee, I was taken back to 2009 in one of his early um, iterations of the foot washing for the soul piece, which, as Joyce said, became sort of really international success because of its simplicity, simplicity but also its kind of, yeah, profundity, I think, um, and the generosity of that work. Um, in 2009, we, I had the privilege of being in the same space as Adrian at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, at the time, I was putting together this piece 
trilogy which had a participation element in which females were invited to come and perform a dance naked. And attached to this project was a process which we uh, engaged with together over several days leading up to this kind of ritual of presenting yourself <laughs> to an audience uh, with nothing to hide behind. Um, and at the same time, Adrian was uh, in another room in the building presenting foot washing. Or presenting isn't the right word. Mm, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the right word is, but presenting isn't the right word. Um, but, but what was really interesting, has anyone, I, have most, most people been to Edinburgh Festival? Mm. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, just a few words to describe. Just it's really um, it's really fast. If you're presenting work there, you normally have one hour uh, to get in. You do the piece, and then you've got about ten minutes to get out. Uh, it, and there's something after you. There are people everywhere. There's no privacy. There's I mean, it's just absolutely amazing, but also balmy. And what was really interesting about connecting with Adrian in that moment is that neither of our pieces could possibly exist in that because um, it was about creating this space for intimacy, creating these spaces of privacy where people participating in the work needed to know that they were absolutely safe, that there were no interruptions and actually to sort of feel like they were in a completely other space, whatever that space was. Um, so I think it was a kind of gift that we were both doing that at the same time because we were able to just take over a building with the archers, just the two of us really, which is what we needed to do and um, thinking back to that time I really felt like it was like an exercise in care I think, that whole summer mm -hmm. it was like how can we together as two artists who were sort of thinking about similar things in our work but doing it in completely different ways how can we create a space in, this kind of, in the madness of the Edinburgh Festival where we can exercise the care that is absolutely necessary for the integrity of our work and for the experience of the people who are part of our work. Um, I don't know many of the people that I could have done that happily with, um, so what a gift. Um, and I think, yeah, he, he helped me to respect that about my own work. He helped me to fight for that. Um, in my own work. I think we've had, we had so many discussions, I think, about just wanting the artwork that we make to be a, a connecting force, not a disconnecting force. And we sometimes got a bit tired of irony or certain <laughs> kinds of presentation, which we just felt pushed us away, pushed us away. Um, we wanted to find these really direct ways of just being with people and, and finding and framing spaces where people felt they could be unashamedly themselves, whatever that meant. Um, so that was another mm. big learning, a big lesson, I suppose, that I feel Adrian facilitated um, for me in many ways. And finally, I think something that I think is, I don't really know how to say it apart from that, I really feel like his work very finely walked this line between light and shadow and was never one nor the other but just I don't know just tiptoed this line between them and I feel like he um, yeah I think in this way it, it was how he was really he was able to be talking about something very deeply personal and profound and then suddenly he'd be laughing his 
head off the next <laughs> moment. Um, I remember a, a late conversation with him and he um, was telling me about his father being upset about something and really weeping and that he thought it was, he had this moment of humour where his father in, in the weeping um, just looked up and said, oh, we mustn't forget that we've got those cheese scones for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> and this, I think he just found this interest in these moments where la the whole sort of complexities of life just kind of butted together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and again, I think, he's, I think he's provided confidence in the community to be brave enough to find those spaces. Yeah, and, and, and really really challenge, like you're talking about the assumptions about kind of pace and busyness that, that drive the Edinburgh Fringe. And he, he, he had a huge amount of kind of bottle just to say, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not going at that pace, I'm going at this pace, which is certainly in that context very difficult to do, but very, so memorable when somebody, yeah, wonderful. Thanks very much, Nick. Thanks, Thanks. 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 Thoughts from you about Adrian and what you learned from his work and how it relates to your wider um, interest in art and therapy. Well, I met Adrian as Adrienne by accident in inverted <laughs> commas when I went to the Arches for a meal um, <laughs> one night, just you know unexpectedly, and there was a group of us, and it was it must have been she Adrienne that was happening yeah. at the time. Yeah, she Adrienne. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. And, uh, so unawares, you know, unbeknown to me, she Adrienne was happening while I was having my, my dinner, and so this big character, you know, was was chatting to us and eventually started talking about his work and I became totally absorbed and engaged as he had the capacity to do. Um, he started talking about the intimacy of his work, um, how he felt about it, the impact that it had on him, the impact that he felt it had on the people he, he worked with and I just felt myself more and more drawn in and drawn in and by the time we left to go on elsewhere. He came over and, and gave me a hug, a big, huge, warm, you know, kind of bear hug. And uh, and I thought, I want to work with this guy. And I don't know where this thought came from, but I just thought, I want, you know, I want to work with this guy. And I didn't actually ever end up working with Adrian. We became friends, actually. We didn't have a professional relationship, but we became friends. And at times he was, um, he confided in me too about how he was feeling about things um, but I think that intimacy and vulnerability are the two um, adjectives that I think of when I think of Adrian and his work. I actually have to confess and I haven't seen the really or taken part in the really intimate um, performances or, or experiences that he had with people through foot washing and, and the other, um, I can't remember the name of it, something washing, holding, what was the first? Yeah, that one, yeah. the bath one. Uh, yeah, 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 it was, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, I can't remember, I did it. I knew him later, I got to know him after those yeah, pieces, yeah, so yeah. Um, I did see a couple of his pieces, but actually I think for me, as I'm listening to other people talk about him, um, the intimacy that I experienced with Adrian was actually through the personal, through the friendship. That's mm. where I got to know him as um, the intimacy, intimacy that people might have experienced within Foot Washing for the Soul, for example. <coughs> because he was who he was in Foot Washing for the Soul, mm. I also experienced who he was mm. in, in the friendship. 
So, um, and I was, and we had conversations about creativity. I mean, when I became self-employed, although I've been counselling for over 20 years, I haven't been self-employed for, for over 20 years. And I went through a period of being feeling restricted by some of the, the um, rigid sort of ways to present myself as a counsellor. And, and I thought I'd like to speak to some creative types about what I might call myself. And, you know, and Adrian popped into my mind and mm -hmm. I didn't know him. But I had, I was really bolshy. I just uh, went up to, his, well, maybe I shouldn't say this actually, what I'm about to say, but I managed to acquire his email address. <laughs> and, uh, and I just wrote to him and said, I just want to speak to somebody creative about some thoughts I've got about um, how I define myself as a counsellor. And, mm. and I don't know you from a hole in the head, but would you give me an hour of your time? Mm. And he said yes. And mm. we met up. and had a great conversation. I did that with a lot of people. I think there's somebody in the audience that I did that with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, at a point when I was kind of exploring, because um, the, the, I'm, I'm really interested as counselling and therapy as a creative uh -huh. process. It's immensely creative and theatre is immensely creative and what both counselling and theatre can achieve is immensely creative. So um, I'm really interested in that and to be here talking about theatre therapy and intimacy is fantastic because theatre is of course as intimate the one-to-one -one kind of theatre that you're talking about is very intimate and therapy is intimate too mm. maybe not in the traditional way that we would think of intimacy I really like the the reframe into me see mm. for intimacy mm -hmm. I can't remember who coined that mm -hmm. but it's really 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 apt um, and intimacy and vulnerability for me go hand in hand and I think that that, that connection is something that I'm really mm. for some strange reason passionately interested in yeah um, yeah yeah indeed so that's and just before we, because I'm sure there'll be people in the audience who want to um, make comments and reflections on this, but um, just before we do that, do you think, um, did you yourselves personally ever encounter any really strong negatives associated with this? I mean, either for uh, the performer, in this case, Adrian, or or for people in the audience? Because, I mean, as, as you said, Dee, there were risks... Mm -hmm involved um obviously we live in a society where the kind of physical contact that adrian um often introduced into his shows tends to be over sexualized in the sense that in in my experience adrian really wasn't you know there wasn't a kind of sexual element in in the in that it was all to do with kind of care and touch and sort of tenderness um with adrian but but um, it's the kind of thing that people tend to associate with, with sexuality in ways that can be very kind of inflammatory. Um, um, you know, obviously some vulnerable audience members could be particularly upset or um, distressed by that. Um, and also Adrian himself, um, um, who was himself an emotionally and mentally vulnerable person at different times. Did it take too much out of him? I mean, what do you think, Dee, now, looking yeah. back about the... About the um, about this idea that you can do something yeah. about the lack of intimacy by setting up this essentially yeah. theatrical or fictional situation in which you yeah. in which you you try and change that. I think he, he, someone, an audience member, had used the, had given him feedback that uh, uh, described the experience as an accelerated friendship, which Adrian liked. He felt that yeah. the performance 
allowed this notion of an accelerated friendship, yeah. which didn't mean it was inauthentic, actually, that in that moment it felt like real, a real exchange of value um, had taken place. Mm. However, and I'm not saying anything that's not out in the public domain, because Adrian has written about this, and his, his interviews have been published in a number of places. Um, Adrian does acknowledge um, that in, in some of his performances, well, first of all, he was very careful to put frames of explanation around them. So as much as one could, one knew what one was signing up for. Mm. So, for example, the hold me, feed me, wash me piece. Yeah. It, it was a, a long A4 sheet of information that said, That's I'm true. going to do this, I'm then going to do this, I'm then going to do this. And that was partly through the university's sort of ethics process, which mm. in theatre is odd because usually you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. So even in its form, it was, it was going against conventions of suspense. Mm -hmm. um, Giving someone an A4 sheet of paper and asking them have they read it and understood it isn't the same as someone having read it and understood it. So it doesn't mitigate entirely that risk, and Adrian was very aware of that. Um, but he, he, he tried as much as, he, as he, he felt he could within the parameters of the structure to ensure that folk understood what they were signing up for. Um, and so in that sense, they were in some sense as a self-selecting audience. But one thing he did say was that a lot of the folk who signed up for it said to him and acknowledged to him that the reason they signed up for it was because they were scared and they wanted to confront their fears and their reservations around intimacy. And so, you know, they understood that they were taking that risk and that was something that the performance allowed them to do in a safe space, actually. Mm. Because, you know, in that wash me, feed me, bathe me room, mm -hmm. outside of the room, there's an usher. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there, there's a, there is a structure of theatre, yeah. a, a production structure of theatre, yeah. even around this seemingly very intimate work. Yeah. Um, and the other thing he acknowledged was, and he, he never really reconciled himself with this, he just acknowledged that it had happened, was that, for example, he received an email from someone after a performance in which he holds them very intimately. She said, I did that and when I did it I felt fine and now I don't feel fine. I feel that you manipulated me. I feel that you, you manipulated me to do something that in ordinary circumstances I wouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to resolve that. He can simply acknowledge that. Mm. I think he probably did reply. I can't remember mm. the debate. I think he probably did reply to that person and say, I'm genuinely sorry, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to discuss this further. Um, but that's theatre, isn't it? It has that. You can't control relationships in any type of theatre. So I put something on and I hope that you see what I think I want you to mm. see, but you may see something you may entirely see, different. You may experience so that's art. You yeah. can't control the relationship yeah. that happens and unfolds. I guess the stakes might be deemed to be higher. Yeah. in a relationship in which vulnerability yeah. very specifically yeah. and explicitly yeah. comes to play. But yeah. Adrian was acutely aware of those dynamics, yeah. Joyce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Nick? Did you think there were negatives? Mm, in Adrian's work, is that what you mean? Um, negative consequences of it, either for him or for any other artist trying to do that kind of very, you know, sort of right on the edge of kind of human intimacy, mm. it, but using the vehicle of performance or for the audience. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, all in all different ways. I think I think for Adrian, I talked about a time when I think he had the sort of space he needed to do his work, mm -hmm. but there were lots mm -hmm. of times when he didn't. Yeah. And actually, when whatever the machine was that he was entering into, that was a trauma for him, a trauma mm -hmm. for his work mm -hmm. um, to try to like push push against and make the space he needed yeah. he found that very very hard yeah um i'm pretty sure that probably didn't impact on the audience member knowing yeah. knowing adrian but yeah but i think also there are other things going on there that i think it's a there's a line somewhere between facilitating an experience for someone and 
via your own experience <laughs> um, and what's coming up for you. The level of reflexivity I think that you need to co consistently engage in, in that context, to always be asking who is this for and mm -hmm. what, what is it for? Yeah. And to be checking in with yourself a lot mm -hmm. in that way and um, trying to unpack those things. Mm. I think it's pretty important, which is not, I wouldn't say negative, but mm. just, you know, work. Yeah, and I think um, there's something else, but I don't know if I can mm. find a word for it. But, yeah. he, he used to, one thing that uh, is occurring to me is that he did use a lot of the history of his own family mm. in establishing that intimacy with people. He would talk about his mum and his dad, how they reacted when they realised he was gay, what his relationship with his brother, who is not gay, was like, you know, um, um, and particularly in those early pieces, like Audience with Adrian, I mean, that was a lot of the, the material of his work. So he was using the kind of, um, you know, conversation about family that often comes up in therapy as a way of getting into that conversation with others about what their experience might be or what had formed them. Did you did you sort of see him doing that ever, Farida, just using his family and his his own personal story in that way? Um, not necessarily, not necessarily within the work that mm. I saw, but more in in conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, listening to Nick there, it's it, again the crossover between theatre and therapy is really apparent because you're talking about really the requirement that you, as a, an artist, you've got to be aware of your own your own inner world and your own motivations and intentions when you're working with with someone in a theatre piece, and that's what um, a therapist has to do as well. You know, you have to be mm. very aware. Yeah, of, yeah, it's know, very similar in that respect. Um, but something that I felt when I was thinking about this whole subject that might, you know, seem a bit off track, but isn't because we're still mm -hmm. talking about vulnerability, is is that, yeah, sure, there there has to be ethical considerations when you're doing any kind of um, work with people, whether it be in theatre and the or therapy, or even if you're just being even in a friendship, mm -hmm. you know, when vulnerability arises, you would hope that you know we would be treated you know respectfully with each other but i think the other thing that's important to say is is that for me um vulnerability is where the magic happens mm. too mm. um because you're you're opening the the threshold for something more present and more real and more authentic than mm. when you're defended and stuck in a pattern or in your crusty conditioning and just reacting. Mm. Um, actually, you know, when we're vulnerable, we're more defenceless, more mm. open, and it doesn't necessarily feel comfortable, mm. but if we can develop a relationship with our vulnerability that is uh, more, more comfortable, then there is that potential for um, much more authenticity mm. Um, it's very courageous to be vulnerable, um, and that's what I think. You know, that's, I want to. I wanted to say that in relation to Adrian, uh, Adrian's work, um, because that's what he brought into his work, and it's mm. also he did. You know, he exposed his own vulnerability quite openly yeah. as a person. He did out yeah. with that as well. Yeah. So I wanted. I felt that that was important. Yeah. To I see. think it is because I think it was that was the calibration he was trying to seek when he was trying to work out what risk would mean and how to keep that in balance. So it contained the riskful element, really on a tightrope, to be honest, because mm. it can go either way. Yeah. You know, it yeah. can push someone and himself too far. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you have to have the resilience and the competence and the faith in yourself to to be able to to handle what might come yeah. up if you're, you know, when you're a therapist mm -hmm. or when you're doing that kind of work, you know, mm. because somebody might have a, a reaction that's, True. you know, that's too much for them or, you know, so you do have to be able to be um, resilient and competent and respectful and uh, sincere in the situation. Um, mm. But I agree, I think that his intentions and his um, attention to that were always really that was always at the forefront. Yeah, and the attention to detail as well, because there was a lot of artistry there. I mean, I mean, Dee said it was presented like a theatre performance, and of course, I mean, Adrian had to be really kind of present in the situation, but it wasn't unplanned. You know, you can sort of see from the images that, that there was a kind of beauty there that you don't get without a lot of craft and a lot of sense of what, 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 you know, what kind of movements you really want to make and all. There was very, very thought through in that sense. So right, mm. so is, is, does anyone else like to um, make some comments or just reflect on all of this? It's a fascinating area and of course there's only one Adrian but there are lots of other artists who have been influenced by by this kind of thinking and you know one-to-one -one performances is uh, more common than it, than it has ever been I think um, and always carries certain kind of risks and opportunities. Mm. Uh, do you think that he created these pieces more for his own therapy rather than for uh, the audience? That's a, yeah. Uh, can can I just, just want to just... Well, um, the, the thing that comes to mind is a quote that I see quite a lot online, which is that he acknowledged very openly that one of the reasons that he made intimate theatre was because he craved intimacy himself and he felt deprived of it. And that was something that, you know, you can, you, you'll find that online. He was very explicit about it. I mean, I can't respond from a, did I, did I know that that's what he was doing? Did he tell me that? He didn't tell me that, but I just wanted to, to bring that, that quote up, that, that that's what he had said. I mean, I think doing something like that, you, you know, you are, you are going to get to have certain needs met um, from doing that kind of work. I think the most important thing is, well, he was really honest about it. He was really honest about the fact that his need for intimacy, maybe that did motivate him in doing what he did. I think the key thing is about awareness. It's about being really aware of your motivation when you're doing something. Again, whether you're a, a theatre maker, a therapist, or or a human being, it's um, being being aware of your intention um, is really important. And I I would have said that I think he was he was quite an aware person. Absolutely, his no, he's very reflective. And he's, in that wee quote that I've taken from uh, something that he wrote with me, you know, he said, "I believe in the power of theatre to be therapy for both me and the audience." Mm. Um, yeah. And actually, probably until the last sort of four or five years, the relationship, the idea that theatre could be therapy was uh, I think you know, people reacted in slight horror to that because mm. uh, it's blurring into the real too much, actually. And the thing mm. about theatre is it's not real. Mm. So people are really pressing against the separations of uh, you know, a reality and a fiction or an aesthetic and a, and a real-world situation. Yeah. So I think he was very explicit about mm. that. I think I just want to say, though, that coming back to the cost of that then, whilst Adrian might have recognised the potential for engendering at least so forms of intimacy in his work, he couldn't if he was doing a performance, say, you know what, I've had enough of intimacy today. 
I actually wanted some time on my own because he had nine hours of feet washing to do. Yes. Right. So yes. the slight problem with the this structure of theatre is he mm. can't at this moment go. God, I've had a fill of intimacy. <laughs> Thanks very much. Because he was programmed. Yeah. So you know, within yeah. the structure of production and labour, this was an intimate. This was a labour of intimacy, really, in some senses. And I, I, I think there is a cost. I think there is a really emotional cost to the theatre machine, as, as Nick sort of alluded to there. But that was the world in which he was working, and this was his work. He was a professional performance maker. Yeah, and he was very, very, very professional. professional. Mm. Anyone else got any thoughts about that? Yep, gentlemen here. Um, I'm a, I'm a counsellor, and I teach counselling up at Caledonian University, and I've been doing it for the past dozen years. Mm. And I'm really interested in the boundary between theatre and intimacy and therapy and therapy is theatre, mm. and I think there's an enormous mm. theatrical element to um, therapy. Mm. And you set up your stage and your props, and you may even adorn it with some paper hankies to just uh, <laughs> suggest that there may well be tears going on here. And I think therapists need to be very, very aware of the theatricality of what yes, they're doing, and they need to be very aware that as a therapist, it's not as non-judgmental and as, as accepting as it looks. Mm. And therapists pick up on certain phrases and lean forward <laughs> which is totally theatrical, oh, yeah. and other phrases look completely neutral. And all this is going on in creating a psychodrama, creating intimacy, and, and creating healing, I think. Yeah. And, and I love the idea of using theatre yes. to do much the same thing. Why not? It's, mm. it's, there's so much crossover. Yes, that's so true what you say about therapists. Freud had this Freud had this whole kind of gallery of weird little statues and things he used to arrange around the place. Like props. It's very if you go to his, his place in London, Nursefield Road, which is where all his stuff actually is, even though the house in Vienna is still there. Um, um it's amazing. It is like a stage set, you know, the, the sofa and the you know. Um so that's that's really true. And I think there's a, a huge theatricality there. And I think one of the things about Adrian's practice, now we can kind of look back at it as a whole, is that it's really interesting for therapists to look at it because he was thinking so consciously about all of these issues to do with the ethics of it and the performance of it in a way that if you were just sort of doing, you know, day-to-day -day therapeutic work, you might not have the occasion or the motivation to think about so much. Somebody else put their hand up there? Yep, um, two, yep. one here and then one there. It was very much his work was creating a kind of intimate space, which was mm -hmm. almost remedial. It's like the external world and the machine that's going on yeah. that you have to survive and exist in a month. I was wondering, was there any aspects of that where you could take in that, you know, rather than having that respite from almost reality, where yeah. you could forge that, was there any way to create that more authentic experience on a day-to-day level, that there was no need for that? Yeah. What kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's, yeah, well, that's really mm -hmm. interesting question. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be involved uh, for three years with Solar Baby mm -hmm. once. Yes. And I was a participant with them. And there's so many things. Um, it's great to hear somebody else portraying your story. Mm -hmm. It sort of gives a distance. Mm -hmm. And and you're then able to um, direct things. You can give it a happy ending, if you like, or whatever, you know, and you're mm -hmm. very much more in control of uh, your particular circumstances when it's been portrayed. Mm. And that is very, very valuable. Mm. Um, yeah. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, there's so many other aspects. I mean, this, this work, Adrian's work, is, to me, just taking it to another yeah. level. 
Yeah. But yeah. the um, um, you know, to be guided in therapeutic theatre was definitely worthwhile experience. Yeah. I mean, that that he didn't uh, he didn't replay your life for you, but he created a space in which you could present yourself. Yeah, and I think the yeah. connection there for me, absolutely, and it probably comes back to things Frida said too, um, was that the space created a place in which you could be listened to. Uh, absolutely. And I know that uh, this doesn't answer the other question that was asked about can you do that just in the maelstrom of life? Like he actually was seeking a space outside of space in a way. Um, uh, so he was creating a space in which you could be listened to and that reflection of someone listening Absolutely. again comes back as I've, I've never, you know, I'll admit this, I've never had a, therape a, a literal therapeutic experience mm -hmm. but one imagines the dynamic of speaking and listening it's being an played out in Adrian's work in that way. Absolutely, space to be heard, mm. um, yeah. definitely, if you're being deprived yes, of exactly. Presenting it to an audience yeah. was yeah. another level again, really, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you mind if I just respond? Yeah. I just wanted to say that um, it's different. I think Adrian's language is different, but I feel like I should say that personally, I'm quite careful with the language that I use mm. surrounding my work. In that I don't, I never say it's therapy because mm. ethically, I think that's wouldn't be right because I don't have the background and the understanding to hold a process that I would call therapy. I do say for people participating in the artwork that, you know, I expect it to have the therapeutic value mm -hmm. um, in the way that performance can or symbols can or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted mm -hmm. to say that. It's a, yeah, that distinction for me is really vital yeah, ethically. Yeah, um, and the other thing I wanted to say about the, yeah, I suppose, the everydayness and also picking up on what you said, um, I think we're calling Adrian's work theatre and that is the sort of world it exists in, but to me it's more like, it was more like a sort of civic ritual, it was more like going yes. to a wedding yes. or something yes. like that. You did a show um, about weddings actually. Yeah, yeah. It, for me it was tapping into mm. these things, these symbolic moments where we come together, these mm. moments of turning in life, of marking a change, of transition. For me it was this much more and I think that actually isn't an everyday thing. It's a special thing a special that thing. happens at particular moments in one's life um, Yeah, that are witnessed so in a particular way. Mm. So, so for me it, it's kind of important that it's not everyday, that it's, yeah, that people make a choice, is this for me now in my life? Mm. And that's meaningful and powerful I think, just mm. making that choice. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I identify quite strongly with that question, though, because my own, you know, looking back on experiencing Adrian's work, I feel a kind of, um, kind of sadness or yearning about it because Adrian was brilliant at identifying this lack of intimacy. He was brilliant as a performer in making it clear that that was something he suffered from. So that was very clear. It was his mm. problem. Um, but what he was brilliant at was 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 um, was making himself available to audience members for whom that 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 lack or that yearning also meant something. So that you know, with, if you were you know in the right place to be having a, a, an experience with Adrian or Adrienne, it was exactly what you needed to, to sort of think more, to, to kind of slow the pace of everything down and think more about the quality of your connection with other people, both conversational and physical. But the, it did lack, and, and we were talking earlier in the Glasgow Girls session about this whoosh of empowerment that people get when they come together to do something about a form of alienation in our society. Adrian's work didn't and probably couldn't 
do that. He was opening up a field, you know, but there, there was, there was, uh, you know, there, were, there was politics behind it in the sense that you could sense that Adrian was a person who would have liked to have lived in a society that didn't have those those flaws that you were talking about, Dee, but there wasn't this, this kind of drive to take it out there into the street, to find partners, to find a movement, to find, uh, you know, a collective that could do something about it. That just wasn't where he was and it wasn't where he took his audience to. But I used to miss it because I'm quite a political person and there's a kind of tinge of sadness from the lack of that, I think. But that's not to diminish Adrian's work because what he was doing was on the cutting edge, in a way, of exposing the problem. And, you know, if you're doing that, you can't also be being the solution, you know. Although, I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it sort of sets up a sort of private-public binary in some yeah. ways. So the work has been referenced as a sort of privatised theatre experience. Yeah. It's a one-to-one, -one. it's yeah. not in public in yeah. some senses. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't say that I don't come out of that space changed by that experience no, and that, that change doesn't walk out with me from that private intimate into space world. into the public. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I can't say that discussions don't happen in the bars afterwards about what it feels like to be bathed by someone as if you are elderly and incapable or in any way incapable. It's not to do with age. You know, the vulnerability, I can't say that those discussions around vulnerability don't take place in a public forum. So there's something yeah. more complex about the public and private happening right. in that dynamic, I think. Although I, you know, I'm not disagreeing with your comment about yeah. that notion of the sort of public empowerment of it, but there's a sort of chipping yeah. away. Maybe. But that public yeah. empowerment, as you're saying, can happen one person at, at a time. time. Exactly, yeah. so as, it's the trip. As, as you are changed exactly. by whatever, whatever it is in life, um, that change exactly. is transmitted yeah. and emanated. Exactly. And then you might touch someone else and they might touch someone else. And yeah. And that's how it works. And, so, and I've tried to rethink of the one-to-one -one as the wrong term. It's one-to-one to two to three to four to five <laughs> yeah. as that cascades yeah. in a way. Yeah. 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 yeah, of course, because I always had to go away and write a review. I had to be <laughs> in the discussions in the pub. That's true, though. That's true. You know, you have to be bathed by Adrian and then go away and write <laughs> 250 words about it. It's a <laughs> weird experience. Um, gentleman in the back. Yeah, it's just a kind of comment. Um, I came across kind of his work, you know, well, obviously here today, but... I was taking my kids to school and there's a little shrine by the university right. to him and I, was like, and, I, and I checked it out and for some strange reason there was a little moment of communication and I guess what I wanted to say is that it almost, we're talking about ritual and you're talking about therapy and I suppose in some ways in the old days people would have gone to church on a daily, well a weekly yeah. basis to experience that yeah. ritual and perhaps you know he's pointing to the fact that perhaps we don't, well, a lot of us who don't go to church, I suppose, don't have that access to that special moment to communicate, especially, I think somebody said about, um, you know, um, special uh, spaces, you know. And we don't have that communication, and perhaps, you know, it's quite religious, his work mm, kind of thing. Perhaps he's mm. kind of pointing to some of these bigger kind of concepts. It's just not yeah. His work yeah. was very religious. I mean, yeah. his work referenced religion. The Garden of Adrian, yeah. 14 stations of the life and times mm. of Adrian Howells, yeah. foot washing for the soul. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's very perceptive. Yeah. 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 It was a, a very strong element of that. Okay, we've got, I think, three more possible comments from the audience, and then we'll have to wind up. If you could be reasonably brief, please, because we're running out of time. I just had a comment because we haven't mentioned um, that there's a whole body of profession, psychodrama, drama therapy that actually mm. yeah. specific training 
solar bear had a resident mm. in their pajamas that was working mm. there. So just as a comment, there are people working in that mm. boundary between theater yeah. and therapy. Mm -hmm. And I just had a question about the relationship between vulnerability and power, because already as an audience member, you're already locked in a power dynamic. <laughs> Therapist, client, person, and all that. Yeah. How maybe Adrian address that or didn't address that in his work? Yeah, yeah, because it's power as a performer. Yeah, no, somebody <coughs> in the middle, sorry, yeah, somebody um, there and somebody in the back. I just wondered about the relationship that a therapist has with its with its broader community, and that I, that I believe that therapists professionally have to. Um, seek on a regular basis an opportunity to kind of divest or divulge some of the experiences that they're having with their clients or with their supervision. Um, yeah, what's it called? Supervision. Supervision, supervision yeah. that's right. There's a supervision. Mm -hmm. And that, um, you know, in, in some respects, D kind of <laughs> was like, you know, and probably other people, other friends of Adrian's or other, um, you know, peers of Adrian's, kind of found themselves in that position, although they didn't have any training in order to maybe to deal with some of the stuff that, mm. that he was experiencing as a performer in such an intimate setting. Mm. I don't quite know what I'm saying about that. But no, that's, that's true, and it's yeah, interesting it's like it's because therapists do have that support mechanism yeah, or should have, have. yeah. You know, which must, which yeah. must be very um, comforting mm. to them and, and, yeah. and creating a security for yes. them, isn't it? Yeah, they yeah. know yeah. that that's there as a backup for them. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to take one more from the audience and then we'll come back for the last little um, comment from the panel. I don't know if I um, I was wondering, maybe as a, somebody that's experienced in his work, whether there was a distinct difference between, say, taking your washing along to a space and washing it, or being almost Adrian performing an action um, on you, like the bathing mm. sort of thing whether there was a distinct dif difference in feeling or whether he reflected upon it as facilitating something and performing something. Like was there, was there sort of various strands to his practice or did he consider it as, as all one thing? Mm. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, some really good points there. Um, um, Farida, shall I come back to you? Um, particularly about this point about the, the support of, of anybody who's engaging in any kind of intimate therapy like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, therapists, I mean, I, I can't speak to Adrian's, you know, professional support. Um, I don't know whether anybody else can, but certainly therapists do um, have to have supervision because, you know, it's, it's, it's a support and it's, it's, um, it's not just a comfort, but it's entirely necessary um, to be able to um, debrief and to do your, your work well. Um, and I'm aware that quite a lot of points have been made. And yeah, I'm there's one about psychodrama, which I was yeah, also going to... The comment that you made about um, vulnerability and power, could mm. you just reiterate what your actual, the number of it I was? I was just wondering how it was mm. reflected in his work. Mm -hmm. the, it's the idea that yeah. it, if you're an audience and a performer, there's already a kind of power thing going on there because the performer's being handed the power to it's as it would be in a therapist-client relationship. Mm -hmm. So for me, the attention would be to uh, my awareness and my ethics about how I conduct myself in that situation, knowing that the audience member or the client is in a vulnerable position. 
comes down to integrity, and trustworthiness, and beneficence, you know, being caring and supportive. I mean, there's all of the things that are, you know, as you will know yourself, you know, that it's, it's part of the training and something that you always have to be mindful of when you're in a therapeutic situation, working with people who are vulnerable. Um, and again, I think, we've, I think we have spoken to this. I think that um, that is something that Adrian was very aware of and very mindful of. Mindful of. In my experience, um, personally, knowing him personally, that was something that he was very aware of. Mm -hmm. um, Nick, this, this last question here about, do you, do you think that he saw it all as a continuum, or do you think he personally kind of made a distinction between the, the work that was more I think kind of he saw it as intimate. a deepening or more like just getting to the point. Yeah. <laughs> to I the felt point. like he stripped away and stripped away and stripped away and then yeah. it, by the by the end of his career I really feel like he was just absolutely just directly doing the thing. Yeah, yeah. But mm. I think the rest of that early work it was just facilitating him really hitting on that. I think, mm, but um, yeah. yeah. And, and the whole journey through the Adrienne persona was really important to that as well because it kind of freed him up from yeah. being some kind of male actor or something yeah, um, into into this, this whole kind of range of sort of caring and kind of mothering, really, behaviour. So he was quite fatherly and quite motherly. That was all there in that kind of... In, in the, the sort of final kind of physical work that he did. So I think he did see it as a continuum. Uh, he very consciously decided to stop talking in the work and to take talking, so the talking cure <coughs> went by the latter stages. Mm. He was interested in physical contact and what we can learn from bodies. Um, so there was a conscious decision to stop talking himself and then gradually actually to stop talking altogether in the performance space. So it was a very, very pronounced shift. And then to stop touching and to have an energetic presence yeah. so even without touch. touching. So it went from talking yeah. to not talking to touching to less touching to <laughs> anyway. So there was definitely a Just difference. Being, yeah. <laughs> um, but as in all performance careers actually some of those earlier works came back in because that's what paid the bill so the chronology mm. doesn't quite fit that trajectory that I've just mapped out but in his own development that's what happened. He decided there was too much noise in the world and why was he adding to it in some senses and what else could performance do. In terms of the power um, vulnerability dynamic um, again you know, uh, well, Nick will know this. Adrian's phrase was, it's, it's all allowed. allowed. And he would say to everyone, whatever happens in this performance, it's all allowed. And he'd say, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. However, and I have sort of written about this, most of us who go to the theatre are very, very well trained in the codes of um, participation even, actually. And so if he says, take your socks off, most of us take our socks off. Mm. And actually, um, I have a friend who absolutely is phobic about strawberries. And in the Garden of Adrian, uh, Garden of Adrian, Adrian says, I'm now going to feed you a strawberry, <laughs> as if this is implicitly a delight for everyone. <laughs> and Rachel, who is phobic about strawberries, in spite of it all being allowed, didn't say, I actually don't like strawberries. She went, mmm. And he fed her one. And then she went, Mm. And he said, I'm going to give you another one. You enjoyed that so much. <laughs> I think that might answer. <laughs> so she never said. So it's all allowed, but you know, we're, we're quite rules-based yeah. as a culture. Yeah. But I think That's right. in the development as well, of course, you know, in all the pieces he made, some were more successful in terms of meeting his aims than others. Sometimes you just have to have mm. these things that don't really do the thing that you're trying to do, but you're just desperately trying to get to whatever that action or that symbol or that space is. And there was one time, one piece, where I felt 
I'm facilitating you here. That's what's happening. You know, which actually he turned it around pretty fast in the next thing he made. But yeah, I think part of that trying to find what that balance, that balance was meant yeah. that sometimes it did tip, the, I suppose, in Adrian's mind, the wrong way. And he would have to find a way to, to realign that, if that makes sense. I don't know if that sort of just touches a bit on that. But yeah, I think who's facilitating who is like quite a big, quite a big question in this kind of work. Okay, I'm going to have to wind this up. I'm sure we could talk on for quite a while because it was a fascinating um, story, but people need to get there. Um, lunch, but but thank you very much. And I think, in a way, what we've been doing is paying a tribute to a real pioneer here, somebody who identified things that were out of joint with our society and really began to develop this practice that might or could address them, the lack of ritual, the lack of intimacy, the lack of tenderness uh, between people. Um, and um, I think we'll be thinking about and analysing his work for many years to come. Um, because it was so bold and so innovative in that sense and, you know, leads on to discussion which will affect many other artists and many other people interested in health and well-being too. OK, thank Thanks, you very much to thank our you. wonderful panel. <laughs>